Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Have a Bible. Let's open up to John chapter 1 again. John chapter 1, and I'll pray while you're praying here. Father, we want to make the most of our time this morning. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just check boxes. Um, And that's easy to do, Father, being in full-time ministry and coming to hear teaching, listening, learning. It can become routine and rote. And I pray that it would not be that way this morning. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be fully present, that we could push distractions out of our minds, Lord, that you'd protect us from the evil one, that you really would fill us full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to be sensitive to you about what you might be trying to say to us, where you might be trying to encourage us, where you might be trying to convict us. I pray that there would be a real sense of we believe in your goodness, and so in a sense we can lay on the operating table and let you do heart surgery on us and not try to fight or push back or be defensive or self-protective, but trust that even if it may feel a little awkward at times, that you always have our best in mind. And just rest in that fact. Speak to us now, we pray, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 1, and we're going to look at Peter, and we're really going to, in a sense, do a a short overview of his life. And here's what I'm really after. What kind of person was it that the Lord Jesus decided to found the whole church on? Uh, We don't believe Peter was the Pope. But he was the first among equals that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church starting with you. You're going to be the first guy, the first witness. Peter was the number one apostle. That's very clear. You you know, read uh, the Gospels, Acts. Uh, He's mentioned over a hundred times in the Gospels, more than any other disciple by far. I mean, he was the spokesperson. He was the leader. May have been the oldest disciple. We don't know that for sure. But John chapter 1, verse 42, we looked at this briefly yesterday. It's the first time they meet. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And I mentioned this yesterday. John Calvin says, That's a promise for any Christian. You come to Christ and you may feel fickle. You may feel worried, fearful, anxious, whatever. But you stick with Jesus, He'll make you steadfast. And that's certainly what He did in Peter's life. And so, three things I want us to notice in the life of Peter this morning. His humility, his honesty, and his hunger. Okay, so... We're going to flip around a little bit. Go to Luke chapter 5. We'll start to Luke chapter 5. Which again, we don't know exactly, but would have been maybe somewhere between a year up to 18 months after Peter had already met Jesus. They'd been spending a lot of time together, going on some trips together, like to the wedding, things like that. But now this is going to be more of a formal call to discipleship in Luke chapter 5. And let's start in verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennerset. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. Now, just one interesting thing here. There's no indication, and we, I may mention this yesterday with John the Baptist ministry. There's, Jesus is preaching a message from Peter's boat. Peter's either in the boat, on the shore, cleaning the nets, had to have heard it. But there's no indication he's impacted at all by the sermon. So there's going to be times, again, where we feel like we're doing our best ministry. It doesn't seem like it's being used. But even from Peter, it's like, why did that happen for Peter? I mean, how could you have literally God in the flesh? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I wish I could just have Jesus like here 
in his 33-year-old body talking to me with an audible voice and telling me something. Wouldn't that be helpful? It's like Peter had that. And there's no indication he was even listening. I mean, maybe he was distracted with the nets, trying to be faithful to his job. I think there might be, and I think we'll see this come out a little bit, there might be a little bit of know-it-allism. Hey, I've been hanging out with this guy for a year. These crowds, they don't know anything. They need to hear this stuff. It's good stuff. But me, I got it, right? I'm in an inner circle. I'm past this. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, translation, Jesus... (laughs) You stick to the preaching, buddy. I'll stick to the fishery. Okay? This is where I'm an expert. We fished all night. That's when you're supposed to fish. You know, that's when the fish bite. It's cooler. We didn't catch anything. We're certainly not going to catch anything now. But it's a little patronizing. like, I really do like and respect you. You want to get into the fishing game. You tell me to do it. Just to humor you. Okay. Okay. I'll put it back out there. Verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, it dawns on him in a fuller and deeper way. It's like, I've known this guy is something special, but it's like he just got a picture and a taste up close and personal, more personal awareness. When's the last time that happened in your life? Time alone with the Lord, in a worship service, something, and it's like God came close. And it's exciting, and it's also kind of terrifying. One of the things that God often does in our lives to use us in more powerful ways is he will humble us in the areas of our strengths right think about isaiah you remember that when he finally has the vision he sees the lord in the temple and he said i'm a sinful man i have sinful lips and what was that about you know it's like isaiah used to just cuss a lot i don't think so it's that what he was saying is i'm a prophet i'm a preacher the best thing about me is my lips and what i'm realizing is i get before you the best thing about me is like filthy rags and Peter's like, I'm an expert fisherman. And Jesus is like, you don't know nothing about fishing. I don't care how long you've been on staff with Stumo, right? You're about to get your 20-year badge. It's like, Jesus knows more. We've got to stay humble. We've got to stay low. Now, when we start talking about being humble, I think a lot of us can kind of pay kind of this begrudging lip service. Like, I know humility is important. I want to be humble. But we can almost kind of like start to get tense in our bodies like, I don't want to pray for humility because if humility means God's probably going to hurt me. You ever felt that way? It's like to get humble, it's like God's about to like beat me up or something. And he might, right? I mean, sometimes God does stuff like that. But sometimes the way he humbles us is with like a tsunami of grace. I mean, you realize that what led to Peter's deeper humility here was Jesus blessed his socks off. He's like, I'm going to bless your business so much, it's almost going to ruin it. The nets and the boats are not going to be able to handle what I'm about to give you. You ever had a situation like that? Something in ministry maybe where it goes so good and you're like, I didn't prepare at all and God just showed up and did something and I'm not worthy and I actually had a bad last night last night and I show up and somebody comes to Christ and you just, there's this fresh sense of I'm totally unworthy. And then There's not one ounce of my merit that's really contributing to any of this. 
It's just the goodness and the graciousness of God. And there's something really sweet about that, right? I mean, there's this kind of mix of, I like you, God, and I also I don't know what to do with you. I can't, I can't figure you out totally. I can't put you in a box. Okay? And Peter falls down. Hey, just why don't you get away from me? Gladly Jesus didn't answer that prayer. Okay? Verse 9, For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It was easy at that point. Oh, you want me to leave my family? You want me to leave the business? You want me to leave dad? You want me to leave the nets? You want me to leave the money? You want me to leave the security? Okay, it was easy. Because they'd been humbled so deeply by his grace. And again, guys, this is at least a year into Peter's relationship. Right? Sometimes we can read the Gospels and we can think, oh, this is the beginning. This was like next level. He'd already been walking with Christ. So my question to you, even as a full-time minister, is there anything in your life that maybe at this stage Christ is calling you to walk away from? Maybe there's other stuff you've already walked away from. And now there's something new, there's something fresh where he's like, I love you and I want to turn it up a notch. There's something else. And listen, fishing wasn't bad. Fishing wasn't sinful, right? It's not like, hey, Peter, you got a porn addiction. you got to quit if you want to stay in ministry. It's like, I'm asking you to give up what you've known your whole life. There, there are things in our life that are good things. They're not bad things, not sinful things. But God just says, you know what? We don't need that in your life anymore. And when you're really humbled, you can say, okay, I'll walk away from it. Mark chapter 8. Flip over to Mark chapter 8. And let's think for a minute about... Honesty. And guys, really in one sense, I mean, I think a fair definition of humility is really just honesty. It's just being very honest about who you are and what you're not. Right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Here's who I really am. I got nothing to hide, nothing to fake. But it's so important. I want to double click on it. And I want us to look at this honesty of Peter. Mark chapter 8. Let's start in verse 29. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them not to tell, to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and by the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. Now, uh, there's so much here, but bottom line, who do you say that I am? Peter's like, you're the Christ. And Jesus, like, you know, Matthew gets the, the longer account. It's like, you're exactly right. And this is real. God the Father revealed this to you. That was lesson one. You had to figure out who I am. Lesson two is what I came to do. He starts talking about the cross. And I, it's almost this mental image like Peter's like, Jesus, let me pull you over to the side, buddy. I, I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other 11 guys. They're not probably mature enough for this conversation. But let me kind of have a little quiet chat with you. Man, you're not, you're not going to go to the cross. Don't get rid of all this negative self-talk. And it's kind of like Jesus turns around and in a loud voice, everybody here, Peter, I now name you Satan. Get behind me. You know, I wonder how that felt. Now, here's what I love. Virtually every Christian historian would agree Mark is Peter's account of the gospel. That Mark was writing it, but basically Peter was saying, here's what happened. And most 
again, kind of orthodox conservative church historians would say that Mark was the first gospel written down and then Matthew and Luke barred heavily as they kind of arranged a lot of their material. And it, it makes sense, right? Peter was the leader. Peter was the influential one. It makes sense that he's the first one who says, I don't think we're all going to make it out of this thing alive before Jesus comes back. We probably ought to start writing this stuff down. He was the influencer. It trickled down. But here's what I love. Peter didn't whitewash his gospel account. And don't you think me and you would have wanted to if this was our account, right? It's like, I kind of look like an idiot in this one. Can't we tweak it a little bit, Mark? Just leave that story out or let's soften it a little bit. But no, he's like, Peter's there like, no, 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 put it in. Put in all the stuff. Put in all my foot and mouth disease. Just honest. He's like, yeah, God's used me a lot, but I also was an idiot. And I want the record to show all of it. Maybe the greatest hero of the Old Testament, King David, had a pretty big fall. And he wrote Psalm 51 and talks about his blood guilt. And 3,000 years later, we're still reading about it. There's something very powerful about just this honesty about, here I am, all of me. Nancy Leda Moss, she has a, probably was a sermon the first time she did it, but I think it's a pamphlet or a little booklet now, but it's called The Heart That God Revives, and she basically does a comparison between David and Saul. Any of y'all ever heard of this? It's really short, it's really good. And she's got, I don't know, maybe 25 things, but here's the best one. She says, the proud heart is terrified about who's going to know about my sin. The humble person doesn't care anymore because I just want to be right with God. Right? Again, I mentioned this yesterday. Is there a place for prudence? Yes. Most of us are way too far on the side of prudence. I said this to a couple of the small groups yesterday. I think it's ideal for every Christian to have at least two people in your life that know everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. What happened to me in the past. What I did in the past. What I'm struggling with in the present. What I'm thinking about doing in the future, I haven't done it yet, but I'm thinking about it. And why do I say two people? Because you'll probably lie to one of them at some point. Right? Have somebody inside Stumo, have somebody outside of Stumo. If you're married, one should be your spouse, somebody else should be not your spouse. Everybody flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with this passage. And just imagine if Jesus came to you and said, hey, of all the people in the Bible, except for Jesus, right? I mean, he's special. But of everybody else in the Bible, if you could have a ministry just like one person, who would you choose? I'm choosing Paul, right? Right? I mean, there's some other good contenders, but it's like Paul's got to be like in the top three at least. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You want the power of Christ to show up in your life like it showed up in the Apostle Paul's life? Learn to boast in your weaknesses. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? And then you're like, what in the heck does that practically mean to boast in your weaknesses? And I'll just be honest, I'm still not 100% sure. But here's, here's my best guess. Here, at, at bare minimum, it at least means this. You have to be willing to talk about them, right? I know what it doesn't mean. Boasting your weaknesses does not mean I never talk about them. I hide them. When somebody starts bringing them up, I try to shut them down. <laughs> boasting my weaknesses means I lean into talking about 
Here is where I am weak. Here is where I am struggling. Here is where I am behind. Here is where I am very tempted with sin. Okay, so, and, and, and let me, this, is, this, this might be the most important point from this whole thing for some of you. The higher up you go in leadership roles, the more proactive you have to be about this. Right? If you're the lowly little student that just graduated, you just came on staff like one month ago, you're still raising support, there's probably plenty of people in this room to rebuke you. Right? You're maybe already sick of it. But if you're the top dog in the room, not many people rebuke you. For a lot of reasons. They just assume, partially, you're doing great. You're the leader. That's why. Why is he the leader? Well, he's doing great. That's why he's the leader. So, And then a lot of times when they come to meet with you or talk to you, they got issues. They're like, I need talk to you. And, and, and if you stay in ministry long enough, here's another thing you'll find. Even if you cultivate maybe relationships outside of ministry in the church, you're like, man, I need some other people pouring in. What will start to happen oftentimes is... You're like, man, this is going to be a peer-level relationship. We're going to get together, confess sins, pray for each other, encourage. And then at some point, it's going to slowly start to turn into you're just helping this person. Because you're the full-time minister. And you're going to show up and they're going to be like, hey, I, yeah, how you doing? You're doing? Okay, great, great, great. Because i got like 45 questions I need to ask you. And that's not necessarily bad, guys. That's just life. But it, it is this. It's dangerous. Because it starts to go to your head to be the answer guy or girl, doesn't it? And so you have got to cultivate people in your life. Make it easy for people to give you feedback. Tee them up, ask them questions, and then when they give you feedback, take it well. Even if you disagree, say, I, you know, I'm not sure about that, but thank you. Thank you, and I'm going to go pray about that. And I could read a ton of Proverbs right now. I won't. I'll just read one, okay? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. You know, every once in a while I might be talking about somebody to my wife or something. She's my best kind of advisor some situation. I'll be like, that guy's just dumb. He's stupid. And my wife will be like, don't call him stupid, Owen. I'm like, what the Bible calls him stupid, right? I'm not going to call him stupid to his face. But, but there is something stupid about people are trying to give you feedback and you're just stonewalling. It's a recipe for disaster. It's like, no, 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 I want to get hurt in life. I want to fail in life. I want to get into trouble. So please just let me drive my life off a cliff. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Everybody flip over to this one. I think we all know it. It's a really good one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, this is about leaders, but there's a principle here that ought to be applied more broadly. Make it joyful for people to give you feedback. Because I think there's some of us like, well, if my boss gives me feedback, I'll listen to that. Or somebody that's my superior... But up here, I'm not taking feedback from them. Who are they to give me feedback? My wife? I, what does she know? I'm not taking feedback from her. How's that work out for your marriage? Uh, a subordinate? Certainly not taking feedback from them. Somebody in one of the small groups yesterday said, most of the Bible studies I do are lost guys. Should I ask them for feedback? That's a great question. Yeah, we should be willing to even, in the right time and context, 
take feedback from students. Again, with a grain of salt, it doesn't mean you believe everything they say, okay? Um, but guys, campus outreach and student mobilization are similar. We have differences, but camp, when I talk to campus outreach people, sometimes I'll say, listen, campus outreach is a weird animal. I mean, it's hard to kind of figure out sometimes, even if your own staff of campus outreach is like, who exactly do we report to and who's in charge? And I mean, it's kind of decentralized. And I think STUMO has some of those similar kind of elements, right? And so the, and listen, I'm for that. I've been doing CO 25 years. So I'm for the weirdness of the way we do ministry and the way y'all do ministry. But here's the thing I'm just saying. It's dangerous because it can lead to a kind of autonomy, right? Who really is up in my business? It's like because I spend most of my time on the campus where I'm a freaking hero to these people, right? I'm the most spiritual person they've ever dreamed of. And that's where I spend like 50 hours a week with people that like, Adore slash revere me. It's not bad. It is incredibly dangerous. And you better cultivate a couple of relationships in your life with people that are not impressed with you. Like they like you, they enjoy you, but they ain't impressed. You're just another sinner to them. And they ain't afraid to tee off on you if they need to. I had a, uh, so the way Camp Church works, a little bit of it. So I report to a board of elders at my church. They're, they're businessmen, they're godly men. We meet once a quarter. And for most of them, one of them was involved in campus outreach, most of them were not. That, I mean, it's like, man, you're the college ministry guy. We, unless I do something really bad, it's like, we trust you, go do it. But recently I was having lunch with him just a couple of months ago, and he said, and Great lunch, probably hung out for an hour and a half, walking out to the car, and he's kind of like, I tell you, I want to say something else. And, and he's about my age and stage. He's like, man, I need to say something. And he was kind of hemming and hawing just a little bit, and he said, you know, last time we were together, you, you kind of said something, and he kind of quoted back what I said, and I think he kind of misquoted me. He's like, I don't know if you should be saying that that way. And it would have been easy to kind of be defensive, like, you misquoted me, I didn't say that. But I was like, you know what? I didn't say it exactly that way, but the spirit of what you're saying, that's exactly what I meant. And you're right, I was wrong. Now, listen, if we were in a Latin culture, I'd have kissed the guy. Because <laughs> he was almost apologetic. Like, man, I don't want to end our lunch like this. I was like, dude, I need more people in my life that are willing to call me on stuff like that. Right? Because, guys, again, the further up you go in ministry, a lot of times there's not some big scandalous sin in your life, right? It's not like, hey, I saw you coming out of a hotel room with a college student, you know, late at night. It's like... Hopefully that's not what's going on. So it's going to be more of these tiny, nuanced things that you have to have people that are willing to go there, right? Because if, you, if somebody sees something big and scandalous, of course they're going to say something. But that's not where most of us are living. We're living with the smaller, nuanced things. Cultivated, guys. Okay. Um, what happens if you... Because you pout or you get defensive or you get mad or whatever. You get stoic when people start to give you feedback. They just learn it ain't worth it. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean they don't have constructive criticism. They still think you need to hear. And so what do they do? They just start stuffing it. I mean, think about it. I bet most of us have somebody like this in our life. We're like, I got some things I'd like to say to him, but he can't hear it well. So I'm just going to, I just start stuffing it. And then you start talking about that person behind their back. I mean, you're trying to do it in a godly way. Pray for so-and-so. He's, you know. But, yeah, but here's what happens. The person keeps doing the same sinful thing over and over and over, and finally somebody can't stuff it any longer, right? 
And so what happens is in the heat of the moment, the volcano blows and it comes out. And it's like, and it's like eight months of feedback in their face. And how do you think they take it? Not well. Like, dude, where did this come from? Why are you yelling at me? Which just reinforces to you, see, they don't handle feedback well. And it just reinforces to them, I don't want feedback. That's not a fun experience. So then the cycle just gets worse. You, you understand what I'm saying? So guys, you have to take it upon yourself to cultivate it, make it easy, invite it in. Let me give you two stories of two high-level campus outreach leaders. And they were, they were Peter-esque kind of guys. Right? Stumo would have hired them. College athletes. Smart, driven, leaders, catching men, raising up a team, visionary, pioneering, new regions, new big cities, new campuses. And some stuff starts to come out kind of slowly, kind of small about, and and listen, I, I use this word in the lightest way, but some kind of abusive styles of leadership. And that word gets way overused, right? But just kind of some, some bullying tactics, right? You understand, you know, intimidating things. A little micromanaging, controlling. One of the guys, he and I were having a conversation when we were going to meet with a handful of directors, and he and I had about a two-hour car ride to get there together as we're talking, and we had the best conversation we're ever having. In a sense, he's really letting me in, and I'm trying to gently ask him some questions, and he's going there with me. He's putting all this stuff in the most encouraging conversation I've ever had with him. And as we pull up the cabin to meet with two other guys, literally the last thing he said, hey, he said, man, this has been good, but whatever you do, please don't bring this up with these other two guys. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to Okay, I'm not going to out you from these other two guys. They were his peers. He got fired about five months later. And I wasn't smart enough to see it at that point, but basically what he was saying is, I didn't really like to have this conversation. I felt kind of trapped and I had it with you because I didn't and nothing else I could do. But I was bound and determined I wasn't having this conversation with anybody else. And so when other people in his church and stuff started trying to talk to him about it, he just kind of dug in. And he's okay. Another guy, somewhat similar situation. He got sideways with another CEO leader and actually did some mediation and humbled himself and repented. Super encouraged. But then a few years later, same thing started to happen again. And he got sideways with his church this time. And he called me in to try to try to help. And when, you know, the church, and this is the way he said it. And he said, man, Olin, I feel like the church is accusing me of like ten different things. And maybe two of them I kind of did. But eight of them, like, I didn't do it at all. I'm like, okay, let, let's, let's talk to them. We can work through this. But then when we would all three get on the phone, like me, him, and the pastor, he'd be like, I didn't do any of that stuff you accused me of. And I'm like, wait a second. When you talked to me, you admitted you did at least two of them. Right? Because he felt safe with me. But when he felt like somebody was attacking him and coming after him, he's like, I didn't do any of it. He got fired too. So, I'm just trying to say, guys, the way you don't end up there is you just cultivate a pattern in your life now where it's just normal to get confronted, confess it, deal with it, and move on. Okay? It's not enough to say, but I was humble five years ago. I had this big incident where somebody... Yeah, great. Good. We'll pass out the humility badges afterwards, okay? 
but then if you wear them, you, it gets taken away because you're proud. <laughs> you got to stay humble every single day. I mean, guys, think about Peter. Well, it's like he walked on water, then he almost drowned. I'll never deny you, Jesus. Then he runs away and denies him three times. And even after, you say, well, that was all before the cross, before the outpouring of Pentecost. Remember Galatians 2? Fearful about what James' boys from Jerusalem might think. I ain't eating with the Gentiles anymore. Paul stands up, rebukes him publicly. Ask yourself this question, guys. When is the last time somebody rebuked you? And how did you respond when they rebuked you? And if you honestly say, I'm not exactly sure the last time somebody rebuked me. My guess is that is not because you're so holy, there's nothing in your life to rebuke. It's maybe you are already starting to develop this persona as the person that doesn't take it well, so people are pulling back. And you ought to go tease somebody up and ask them. Okay. What I love, you know, at the end of Paul's life, 2 Peter chapter 3, 15... He says something about our beloved brother Paul. You study the book of Acts. Essentially the first half of the book of Acts, Peter's mentioned you know, over 50 times in the first 12 chapters. He's the obvious leader of the New Testament church. After chapter 15, Peter is never mentioned again. But the apostle Paul comes on the scene, mentioned over 100 times, second half of the book. I mean, in some sense, Peter got eclipsed. But Peter was okay with that. Right? Paul's like cranking out letters, you know. Peter only gets two little letters out there. But the last one, he's like, man, I love Paul. He's hard to understand sometimes. He's a freaking genius, right? But I love Paul. I really like Paul. I'm a fan of Paul. Could you say that about the person that publicly rebuked you in front of the whole church? Could you say that about the person that eclipsed you in ministry? Peter was humble. Peter was honest. And then lastly, Peter was hungry. Flip over to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. You know, we could just end right there. Just be humble, just be honest, everything will be fine. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter how much truth we know if we don't really act on it. And have you ever known the guy or the girl that they really, they are pretty humble. They are pretty honest. They'll be honest and humble about their weaknesses and their struggles but they just don't do much to change, right? Yeah, I'm really struggling with this. Like, dude, you've been struggling with that for 20 years. And we all have stuff like that. Are you, are you making progress? Are you willing to make the hard, sacrificial decisions to change? And part of what I love about Peter is, if nothing else, Peter was a man of action, right? He was a mover and a shaker. So, John chapter 21. And probably what's going on here. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 makes mention that there was a one-on-one special appearance between Jesus and Peter. We don't, we don't know about it anywhere else. But almost certainly, I think it just must have been Jesus showing up saying, Hey, I want you to know, I love you, I forgive you, you're not Judas, you're still in the family. But then we get this account, which we're going to look at more in depth. John chapter 21, let's start in verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him... We also will come with you. And they went out and they got into the boat that night and they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat 
and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Now, most likely what's going on here is Peter kind of felt like, Hey, I'm forgiven. I'm going to be in heaven one day. But I'm pro- the whole chief apostle thing, I'm out. I might as well go back to fishing. And the other apostles were like, we're probably out too, man. We all denied him. We didn't do it as big and bold as you did, Peter. But we all ran away, except for John. Uh, so we'll go fishing with you too. We're probably out too. But then Jesus shows up. Peter figures out it's Jesus, right? I love this. I mean, he, he's probably stripped down to whatever the Jewish equivalent of boxer shorts was for the work day. See, Jesus like, man, I'm about to go meet the king of kings. I can't show up in boxer shorts. Got to put on my jacket. Puts it on. Jumps in for a swim. And then let's pick up in verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, again, I skipped a few verses there, but you know, there's a charcoal fire, which there had been the night when Peter had denied Jesus. Three denials. Three, do you love me? Do you love me? Almost certainly, what is Jesus doing? This is, he's walking Peter back through kind of a public confession, a public repentance. You said that you loved me more than all the other disciples. You said you would never deny me even if they would. And just think about Peter coming out, come on, Jesus, we've got to do this publicly in front of everybody. I mean, if you have one sense of kind of self, you know, dignity you're trying to preserve, you just say, number one, I don't want to do this. You know I'm sorry. You know all things. You're God. You don't have to stretch it out here. Certainly don't want to do it publicly. But guys, Peter was just so in love with Jesus. Like, if I can get close to Jesus, even if it hurts, even if it's shaming in a sense, if there's a positive sense of that word, right, to have to walk back through this, I'm willing to go there with you, Jesus. Because I just want to be close to you. Even if you're like, maybe it's your personality, maybe some of it's your family of upbringing, you're like, I have a really hard time talking openly and honest with my sin about others. I understand that. I think you need to grow in that. But here's the starting point. Can you talk openly and honest with God about your sin? Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm fearful about. That's the starting point. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now I think what's going on here is Jesus is saying, Peter, you blew it last time. Listen, when when Peter said, I will follow you all the way to death, I don't think he was lying. I think he meant it, right? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. But when the pressure came, I mean, he started out good. The guards came after Jesus. He poured out his little fisherman's sword, chopped off a guy's ear. But then when Jesus said, we're not doing this, he got terrified, he ran away. And so when Jesus says, I'm reinstating you, but one day you're going to have to keep good on that promise. 
This is an encouragement from Jesus. Hey, Peter, you're going to be the steadfast rock next time. You won't run away. It's a massive encouragement. But look at how Peter responds. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one also who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? And so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And basically he's saying, Peter, shut up, man. I just gave you this massive encouragement. Don't worry about John. Worry about yourself. You've got enough to worry about with yourself. Because Peter's like all of us. He's a roller coaster ride. High highs, low lows. And to some degree, it's going to be a roller coaster ride, guys, until we see Jesus face to face. Hopefully the lows aren't quite as low, right? Hopefully the highs get higher. But there's still going to be ups and downs. And so... Some of you may be saying right now, so are you saying we've got to have a personal like Peter to be a good minister? No. That's why I wanted to end with this passage partially. It's like John had a radically different personality than Peter. John can use, I mean, Jesus can use Peter's. He can use John's. The issue is not your personality type. I'm not saying that's not a factor, but that ain't the main issue. The main issue is your humility, your honesty, your hunger. Build these into your life. Cultivate them. Go the extra mile with them. Be willing to make these changes. Let me just give you a couple of really practical things. One thing I've noticed, if there's not an appropriate honesty about my strengths, my weaknesses, it's harder to be objectively honest about other people's strengths and weaknesses. But when I get real comfortable talking about my own strengths and weaknesses, like, man, I'm great at this. God, it's not me, it's God. I'm terrible at this. I've been trying my best. I just don't get much better. It's easier to talk that way about it. You become a better minister, a better team leader. Just more honest, objective, it's helpful. When you have this hunger, it'll bleed down to others. When you have this humility, it'll bleed down to others. So, practical application, guys. Receiving feedback, that's good. Asking for feedback, that's even better. Acting on the feedback to change, that's the best. That's the gold standard. I've asked for it, I've gotten it, I've heard it, and now I'm going to really be willing to change even if it costs me something, even if there's something Christ might be calling me away from. So here would kind of be my last thought. What, what is it that ultimately made Peter such a great disciple, such a great follower, and thereby such a great leader, that Jesus is like, this is the human being I'm starting with. He just kept coming back to Jesus. Lord, get away from me. No, Jesus, I want you to follow me. Okay. I want to walk on the water, and then he starts to drown. But who does he look to? Jesus, help me. Jesus helped him. Right? I mean, he denies Jesus three times. Jesus looks at him. The croc, cock crows. He weeps. But he went back to Jesus. I mean, in some sense, guys, you can make an argument. The sin of Judas and Peter was not that different. Peter, I mean, Judas was more premeditated. But it was this ongoing kind of... Denial of Christ as Lord and Master. But when it was over, here's the, here's the key difference. Judas, Judas had some form of repentance. Remember that? Like he went back to the priest. I don't want the money. I feel terrible. He had worldly remorse that led to death. But Peter said, I'm going back to Jesus. Even if it's embarrassing, even if it's awkward, even if I don't get an impossible more, I'm just going back to Jesus. G. Campbell Morgan had this great quote where he said, 
talking about when Jesus looked at Peter right after he denied him the third time. He said, the look of Jesus would have been wasted if Peter hadn't been looking at Jesus. And that's what I love. Even right after Peter denied Jesus the third time, what was his instinct? Oh no, I wonder what Jesus is going to think about that. Peter was madly in love with Jesus. Even after I royally screw up and hurt Jesus, I want to go back to Jesus. That's all I got. I just keep going back to Jesus. That's my only hope. What is it that makes me the first chief apostle? I just keep going back to Jesus. What's going to make you a faithful Christian? Keep going back to Jesus. What's going to make you an effective minister? Keep going back to Jesus. The lover of your soul. The savior of the soul. The one who's already died to pay the price for all the sins, past, present, and future. Haven't even committed them yet, but they're coming. He knows they're coming. And he's got much mercy for them. So just be honest about them. Keep going back to them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are such a merciful Savior. Our sins, though they are many, your mercy is more. I pray we'd be melted by your mercy so we can be more honest and humble about our weaknesses and not just sit in them, but through the process of this honesty and humility, we can start growing. Make us into the men, the women, the leaders, the laborers, the ministers you want us to be. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.